You are listening to a Spoken Word Ministries podcast. Our heart is to proclaim the gospel and equip believers for ministry. If you're interested in learning more about our ministry, go to www.swma.ca. You can also find us on Facebook. Now sit back and enjoy this message. God Almighty, we tell you we love you, we thank you. As you turn our hearts, Lord, you turn our vision to you. Lord, let us look upon you. May you be to us who you are. So we pray today, Lord, that you'll continue to open our hearts, that we may see you as you are, that we may worship you, and that we may receive from you, Lord, your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Now there's a, as I sing this song, this is actually one of my favorite hymns, so thank you for playing it. In fact, it's my favorite hymn. <laughs> um, but it, it, it reminded me as we're singing this, it says, uh, and especially for the ladies, um, Thou my great father, I thy true son. When I was in seminary, my, uh, I had a systematics prof who was a feminist. And yet, when we were, he, he was teaching about sonship, uh, he, he insisted that uh, women understand what it means to be a son. Back in Jesus' day, all of the uh, inheritance was passed down through the sons. So when he spoke about being a son, he included, he said, Jesus included women and men in that category as joint heirs, as co-inheritors. So as, as women sing this, I a true son, not talking about your gender. It's talking about your status uh, as a joint heir. And uh, so, yeah, so I was preaching on that one time in my first church, and I had a little old lady come up to me afterwards. Uh, Ruth Zelensky was her name. And she's like, I got something to show you next week, she says. So she wanted to show me her baptismal certificate. So she brought this baptismal certificate that was 80 years old. And it was big. Yay big. It had all the ornate writing you're talking with the big first letter. And uh, at the end it says, This day, such and such a date, Ruth Zelensky was baptized a son of God. And that's what she was taught around that baptism was that it's not a gender thing. It's a joint error thing. So anyway, I just... That's what came to me anyways as I was singing this. So, uh... Alright. Um, what I want to do with you today... Uh, I want to share a little bit from um, uh, Isaiah. And I'm going to take you a little bit to Isaiah... Uh, 30 15 so I've been spending a little bit of time in Isaiah 30 15 and I have uh, I have about this much written on Isaiah 30 15 so far because God has been applying it to a bunch of areas in my life so Isaiah 15 Isaiah 30 15 it says this in repentance and rest is your salvation. 
Your quietness and trust is your strength. And um, I just want to stop there. And then, then I'm actually going to expand that passage a little bit. We're going to take in a few other uh, verses around it. But um, I want to share with you a story. Uh, happened to me this morning. <clears throat> I got up. Now, oftentimes when I get to preach, I get up Sunday morning early because I, I don't wake up quick. <laughs> get up early, woke up, um, got out of bed, and I went to McDonald's. I go to McDonald's with my iPad and my notebook, and I like to just sort of sit there and have my cup of coffee and, um, and, and sort of go over what I feel God's laid on my heart. Well, this morning I walked into McDonald's and I saw a guy there that I know. Uh, and uh, so I didn't get much going over my message. I uh, instead got to sit and talk to him. And he looks at me and he says, you know, you think Jesus is real? I think, maybe, you know, maybe he's a metaphor. Do you think he was real, like a real person or just a metaphor? And I said, you know, I think he's real. Uh, I said, I honestly really believe that he's real. I said, if he was a metaphor, a metaphor is really just an image and it casts it back on our own strength and it might tweak a bunch of creative juice in you and, you know, get you thinking about things, but it doesn't really have the power to change anything. And I said, I've seen Jesus change too many lives for him to be anything less than real. So he, uh, he said, well, I'm not a Christian. But he said, I do believe in God. And I said, yeah, I hear that. And then he went on to share his story. It turns out that he, he's a street kid, uh, well, an ex-street kid, he's 60 years old now. Uh, best looking 60 year old, one of the best looking 60 year olds I ever saw. I mean, uh, who else that's 60 do you know that actually actively wrestles and do all this, does all this other kind of stuff? So pretty, he's a pretty solid looking 60 year old. But, but he, uh, he said, yeah, the first time I got exposed to God, he said, I'm a street kid, grew up on the streets, never had a mom, never had a dad, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was survive. One day he said, I ended up in Calgary and I ended up listening to this guy by the name of Rich Wilkerson. He said, actually, when I saw the poster, he said, uh, the poster said, Rich Wilkerson, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And he said, it said a bunch of other stuff, but all I saw was the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So he said, I found where this place was. It was on the Christian Center in the north end of Calgary. And I showed up there expecting sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And when they introduced Rick Wilkerson, he said, I expected the curtains to whip back and there was a heavy metal band ready to go. Right? <laughs> and this guy comes out and he turns out to be a preacher. And he said, all I really remember about that night was he talked about God and he talked about Jesus. And when the call came to give your life to Christ, he said, I, um, I don't really remember walking forward. He said, I felt like I was floating all the way down. And these guys prayed over me, and he said, I felt the rush of God's Spirit through me, and I knew God was real. That's sort of interesting. Rich Wilkerson. I listened to Rich Wilkerson one time in Calgary at the Christian Center. I said, when was it? Well, it was about 35 years ago. Yeah, that would be, I was at the same stinking conference. I went to see Rich Wilkerson that night. I was in the same building as this guy when he when he floated forward, so to speak, right? Anyway, probably actually walked, but he felt like he was floating. Anyway, he walked forward. 
for that journey. And um, he uh, really became disillusioned with Christians. And he really became disillusioned with church people. And uh, one of the things that he said that disillusioned him so bad was the, was the healing, teachings on healing. And he said one day he was, uh, he was at this church service and he was uh, listening to the preacher talk about how he could, they could heal him in the name of Jesus. And they could heal by the blood of Jesus. And he said, so everybody got up and they got prayer word for healing and I didn't see anybody get healed. And he said, I knew this, this preacher, I knew this pastor, and I knew that he ran a care home. And he said, you got people in your care home. He says, why don't you go heal them if you can heal everybody? And he said, the guy was totally stumped. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and so anyway, this left a pretty bad flavor in, in my friend's mouth. In fact, he looked at me as he told the story. He said, this is the first time I've ever been able to say that to somebody without being enraged. He said, you got to remember, I grew up on the street. And he said, on the street, things are practical. They're not practical, you don't survive. He says, you don't talk about theoretical stuff that doesn't work. He says, it's nuts and bolts stuff, and it has to work. So, so he said, I brought that same attitude to church. And he said, you know, after I've gone to a bunch of those churches, he said, I quit going to church. I don't go to church anymore. I believe in God. I don't know if I believe in Jesus anymore. And yet he described, the way he talked about his encounters with God, he described these encounters where he experienced the touch of Jesus. Right? So he wants to know my response. And I said, well, I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been in a lot of those meetings where there were all the positive proclamation stuff, and we can do this, and we can do that, and we do all the stuff in the name of Jesus, and I, too, have watched all kinds of these meetings where you pray over people for healing. Nobody gets healed, and they walk away. And, in fact, I've done a lot of sweeping up after those kinds of meetings uh, where you end up with people that are disenfranchised and angry because God did not touch them, did not do what they wanted him to do, did not meet their need. Anyone here uh, had those experiences? Yeah. So, <laughs> the crazy thing is, is I still retain this very strong belief that Jesus heals people. Okay? So, the weird thing, a couple of healing stories, right? A couple of years ago, I'm in a seminar. Well, we're prepping for a seminar. This guy walks in, and he walks in like this. I said, what the, what's wrong with you? Uh, I fell off a ladder today and tore my back. So, I'm going to the doctor after this. Can you pray for me? I'm sort of busy, but sure. Right? <laughs> and i got to be honest with you, I didn't have a lot of faith in that moment, right? Like, I mean, you know, what are you going to do for a guy? The pastoral response is to pray for him. So I, I put my, my hand on his back, dear Lord Jesus, my, my friend, he, he needs help. Um, we'll pray for healing over his back, put everything back in place. In Jesus' name, we receive your mercy in that. And I turned away for a second. Uh, somebody comes up, answered a question or two and I turned back and here he is standing like this eyes wide open are you looking at me? he says are you seeing me? I am standing straight and he walked out totally healed then clothed me you're out at Teen Challenge right? you are telling this story here last week to a couple of guys at Teen Challenge one of the guys comes for, for prayer um, and uh, Barry big 
Nordic looking dude, right? You know, six and a half feet tall. Anyway, he went, comes for prayer. And we're on a break and Claude and me are praying for him. And Anyway, Lee Heiss over here. Lee, Lee is one of the other guys out there that's in for addiction treatment. Well, he jumps up right away too. Because, you know, okay, we're going to do this. We'll all do it together. He jumps up. We're praying for Barry. Suddenly, Lee starts going. But we're not praying for healing for Barry. We're just no. praying for Barry. About we're praying for Barry for something, right? Yeah. It's like, like, Lee, Lee goes, I just got healed, guys. I'm thinking to myself, what, we got bad aim, you know? Like, we got the cross of Barry, and like, you know, like sighting in a rifle, you know, you're aiming over here, and you hit over here, I don't know. Anyway, so it's really interesting. I get, so I get sharing this with this friend of mine this morning, and I say, you know what, I've seen too much. I said, I've come to this conclusion. I cannot manipulate God. God does not do what I tell him to do. And yet I know God heals. Healing is not a primary gift that I have experienced in terms of physical healing. I have experienced more in the way of healing from demonic stuff uh, or healing from guilt and shame and brokenness, all that kind of stuff. But every now and then God works a physical healing when I'm in the room. And, and, and it's always amazing, and it's always nothing I can control. And it's like God's going, here I am, and I am Lord, right? And I have chosen to do this, this day. So I've got to the point where I don't try to control all that stuff. I, I, I don't give pat answers. I don't, uh, I don't you know... I've seen too many people too wounded by the pat answer approach thing. <coughs> Instead, my focus has come Bless back you. to the mercy of God. What's that? Bless you. All right. Love it. Craig, Craig, Craig sneezed and I did there said bless you. Yeah. So, you know what? With that in mind, I'm going to actually take and show, share a couple of passages that I wrote down this morning. I want to start us with uh, Isaiah. Isaiah 28, 16. And um, it says this, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. Who is Zion? When we talk about the Old Testament, the, the early apostles, um, Christ came, Christ died, Christ rose from the dead. He sent the Holy Spirit upon a church. The early church began, and they began in a house setting, largely because they had no other settings to begin in. They attended synagogue, but their primary book of study was the Old Testament. And so the apostles developed their teachings off of the Old Testament. So your, t your New Testament, when you look at your New Testament, is basically an unpacking of your Old Testament. It is the teaching of the apostles based on the Old Testament through, the, uh, through the, the light of what has happened on the cross. So I find myself going back to the Old Testament. So if we can look at, I lay in Zion. God is saying that I lay amongst my people. Zion is not just a physical place. It is the people of God. Zion is not just a mountain. It is the people of God. God comes amongst his people and he says, I lay a stone, a cornerstone. A stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And whoever believes will not act hastily. Who is the stone? Who is the stone? Jesus is spoken of as the cornerstone. 
Cornerstone is an interesting stone. You can build an arch out of stones and you drop what they call a keystone in the top. And, and everything leans on the keystone. You take the keystone out, everything falls apart. A cornerstone is built into the bottom foundational corner of a building. It holds a structure. You pull that, that stone out, everything falls apart. Everything becomes unstable. Jesus becomes that cornerstone. He becomes that foundational stone that holds our faith together. When you become, begin to believe in something else or trust in something else, your whole life is going to get shaken. Your life is going to become undependable. You know, I've had the privilege to be beside a number of deathbeds in my life. And it's interesting how people who are arrogant, uh, suddenly when they hit their deathbed, things are real shaky. And I've seen, I, I've seen Jesus come and lay that cornerstone into their lives at that time when they're ready and, and the strength that comes from him. So he is speaking of this Savior. Isaiah is foreshadowing the Savior Jesus who will be the cornerstone for our faith. Then he says this in Isaiah 29, 13, This people have drawn near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They have removed their hearts far from me. So I'm, I'm actually uh, using uh, King uh, NIV says their hearts are far from me. The King James Version says they have removed their hearts far from me. Their worship of me, of me is made up of rules taught by men. So I got reading about that a little bit here. This is a, he's speaking to a people who worship, speaking to a people that have a temple. He's speaking to people that are active in the synagogues, in the churches, so to speak, of the day. Um, and it says, they worship me. They honor me with their lips and their actions. But their hearts are not near me. Their hearts are far from me. I used to think about this passage like it sort of spoke of people who were actively disobedient. You know, the people that go to church on Sunday and then, you know, I've done my religious duty. Now I want to go live my own life during the week. And I realized as I'm studying this, no, no, he's talking about much more than that. He's talking about people who think that they do all the right stuff. They can get into the good graces of God. Their hearts are far from him in the sense that they don't believe in him. They depend on what they do religiously. You know, when we think about doing church, we need structure. You know, I've been talking with people about house church this week, and I've been talking with people about big church this week. Two different forms of structure. You know what, if we depend on the structure, it doesn't matter. My first church was a big church. There was 165 people when I arrived there, and when, I, when we left about seven years later, there was 350 on a Sunday morning. We saw really good growth in that big church. And we saw a lot of people get saved in that big church. I remember coming to church one morning, and here's this guy, he's leaning against the front doors like this. And he's sobbing, right? He's, he's Well, he's sobbing. He's not like, <laughs> but he's, he's leaning against the church, and he's leaking, right? I'm going, are you okay? Oh, man, I just wait until I can get here Sunday morning and touch this place. He says, when I touch this place, he says, the Spirit of God is here, and I just, I need that so much. So here we are in this big church, and the Holy Spirit is moving. And he's calling people and he's drawing people to himself. I remember preaching one morning. Did I ever tell you about the story about Ben? Probably not. I'm preaching one morning and uh, <clears throat> I like to pick people out of the audience every now and then and say, Ben, right? Well, you're not Ben. But anyway, this morning I picked a guy out of the crowd 
I said, Ben, the Lord is calling you, Ben. Now is your time. Two rows behind him, this guy burst into tears. <laughs> I didn't know that that morning, a young man who was about 19 years old walked into our church service. It was a guy who hated God. Why do you hate God? Because God had killed his father. He had been in the room when he was about 12 when his father died of a massive heart attack. And somehow he started blaming God for this. Hadn't been in a church since. Hates God. But that morning he got up and God called him to church. He didn't really think of it that way. He just thought, i got to go to church. He picks up a phone book. He finds a church. We're, we're way out in the sticks in the country. You've got to drive five miles out of town to get to us. But he walked in the door that morning and he sat down. And guess where he sat down? Direct in line with Ben. So when I was pointing at Ben... Two degrees up, he thought I was pointing at him. Ben, this is your time. <laughs> and he, my youth group was sitting around him. They gathered around him. They shared Jesus with him. He gave his life to Christ. And we ended up baptizing him later. What was his name? His name was Ben. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ben's sitting in line with Ben. Yeah. <laughs> How do you set that up? You don't set that up. The Holy Spirit worked in that big church environment. You know, in a small church environment like this, I think the same thing. The, the thing that I get out of this first is not about what we do. It is not about the structures so much even that we set in place. It is not about uh, the rules. There are so many of us, and I run into this so often as I go through the church, there are so many of us that that we have all these rules that we have to do to please God. And God is not pleased by any of them. God is pleased when we allow Him to have our hearts. God is filled with joy when we come to Him in relationship. And so Isaiah says this, it's not about the rules. And, and so I think one of the things for me, that as we, as we look at what it means to move ahead, it's not just so much about the strategies of small house church or big church or, or the gimmicks oftentimes that churches use. The church nowadays across this land is big into gimmicks. It's about the faith. It's about the surrender to God. And as God leads us, and maybe he leads us in a, in a house church way, maybe he leads us in a big church, I don't know. But, but it's about what God will do. And it's about saying yes to him and following a human relationship. Woe to the rebellious children, Isaiah 29, 1-2. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. What is sin? Anyone have a definition for me of sin? What is sin? Yeah. Romans 14, 23 says, whatever is not of faith is sin. So wherever I say, I'll do it myself, wherever I say, God, I don't want to trust you, I'll do it my way, what that verse becomes is, sin. What verse is that again? Romans 14, 23. Second, I know the one said before Isaiah. Isaiah 29, 1-2. Okay. Okay. Woe to the rebellious children. And a rebellious child is just a child that says, I'll do it my way. Who here remembers the terrible twos? I'll do it my way. Dad, get away from me. I'm doing it my way. That is, not that the child hates you, you don't have to hate God to be rebellious. You just have to insist on your own way. Woe to those people, says the Lord. Why woe? He's saying, this is a tragedy. 
Woe to those people. The moment you say, I will do it my way, you take your dependence off of God and you lose his strength. This is a temptation of Adam and Eve. Bite this and you can be your own God. Bite this you can run your own life and your own strength. And they lost the strength that, pour, that was to pour through them from God. Those who devise plans but not of my spirit. I think about, you know, in some of my young life as a pastor, one of the things we used to do is when we used to devise plans. And some of those plans didn't work very well. Some of them worked okay. You know what? The ones that worked, worked well were the ones where we went to God and we said, Lord, what do you want us to do? And God led us. But when we go to someone other than God, uh, it's, he says it's like they add sin on sin who go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice but strengthen themselves with the strength of Pharaoh. So I find myself, you know, as I read this, who do I go to for strength? Who do uh, you go to for strength? As a church, who do we go to for strength? If we go to something other than God, if we allow ourselves to get distracted and it becomes about rules or systems or gimmicks, don't get me wrong, there are certain things that you can do that, you know, I mean music, right? Um, greatly enhances our worship experience. But I think about a pastor friend of mine down in the States. He had a massive church and they had professional musicians. And, and one day God convicted him. He says, this is, this is shallow. He says, it's all about performance. Mm-hmm. And this pastor who ran a church, I think there were about 12,000 people. There was a big church. Right. <clears throat> he said, you know, we've got to get back to true worship. Well, how are we going to do that? He said, first thing, we're getting rid of all the professional musicians. We're going back to volunteer musicians. And those people that we can see who have a heart to worship, those are the people that are going to lead worship. Well, they lost about 4,000 people right away. But he held to to his guns. And they moved in that direction. And he said it rejuvenated our worship time. Well, let me take you to Isaiah 30, 15 now, the core verse. It says, um, let's see here. Thus says the Lord, and repentance and rest is your salvation. And quietness and trust is your strength. And repentance and rest is your salvation. Quietness and trust is your strength. What is repentance? Anyone know what repentance is? Yeah, so turning away from sin. What is sin? We just talked about that. Turning away from not trusting God. You know, really, when you look at Adam and Eve, that was the temptation again. Like this, you can be your own God. Like this, you can depend on yourself. Like this, you can run your own life your own way by your own strength. The problem is, is when you run your life that way, then you're dependent on manipulating and controlling and trying to, trying to make other people and situations do what you want them to do. And you don't have the strength to do that. When we repent, it says, we turn now back to God and we depend on God for our strength. And we allow God then to pour His strength into us. So God says, when you repent and you take your rest in me, He says, I will pour my strength into you. You don't have to control. You don't have to manipulate. You don't have to make your life work. When you repent, I will strengthen you. And the interesting thing for me is that when I experience repentance, I always know that I'm walking in repentance because something happens to me. And you know what happens to me? I'm able to rest. 
I'm one of those people that, you know, I struggle a little bit with anxiety. And so I can get worked up pretty fast. And I can lose all my rest real fast. When I'm trusting God, I, I can tell because the rest settles into my soul. God is now saving me, not just for eternity, but he's saving me from having to depend on my own strength for my daily living. So, where is my verse? I'm going to pick the right windows in my glasses. In quietness and confidence, or uh, quietness and trust, is your strength. But then it goes on, but he says, you would not. You said, no, for we will flee on horses. Therefore, he says, you will flee. You, you said, we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. Thousands shall flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five you shall flee until your left is a tree stripped of its branches on a mountain, and as a banner on a hill. Therefore the Lord will wait, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore he will be exalted, that he may have mercy on you. For the God is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. The people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem, and you shall weep no more, and he will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry when he hears it. He will answer you. So what does it mean here? It says, he says, in repentance and rest you will be saved, in quietness and confidence will be your strength. But you would not. What does that mean? It means God is offering us. He's saying, I could help you. So I'm 16 years old. And, uh, well, I used to be 16 years old. My dad caught me in, in doing some stuff that I shouldn't be doing and going in a direction that I shouldn't be going and he wanted to help me. And he offered to help me. He says, my son, you're going in a bad direction. I said, I was actually fairly honest with him. I said, you're probably right. But I'm doing this my way. And the poor old guy, he's going like, I could help you. I don't want your help. I'm doing it my way. And you can see his shoulders slump a little bit. We're in for some tough years now, right? <laughs> and we were. We were in for a tough couple of years while I learned it my way. Meanwhile, my father, who could have helped me, was kept at a distance unable to do more than pray for me. But I wouldn't take his help. I'm doing it my way. Did my father hate me for it? No, my father didn't hate me for it. My father grieved over me because he wanted to be a part of my solution. And yet I wouldn't let him. And that's what this guy is talking about. That's what Isaiah is saying about. He says, God is offering you this strength. And quietness and trust will be your strength. You can have strength for this life. But you, would, but you said, no, I will not. Then he says, he, he said, you, you said, for we will flee on a horse. What does it mean to flee on a horse? Anyone here ever fled on a horse? One of my cousins was on a horse last week, got bucked off, nine broken ribs, uh, broken pelvis, broken hip. Anyway, it goes on and on, right? Um, anyway, so I'm not really much of a horseback rider. Um, but what does it mean to flee on a horse? Jump on another train. Jump on another train, yeah. So you're... Yeah, you're right on the money. Yeah. So here we are. We got struggles in life. God comes and He says, "In repentance and rest is your salvation. I will save you from this. In quietness and trust is, is your strength. I will give you a strength you cannot generate on your own, so that you can actually live with some joy." Right. 
but you would have none of it. Instead, you said, I will jump on a horse and I will, I will ride another train. I, I've got other options that I am going to try. That's exactly what he's talking about. So you jump on the horse, and what is the promise? He said, you will flee on the horse, then I say this to you, your pursuers will be swift. But you said, I am on a swift horse? Yeah, and their horses will be swift too. In other words, you are not going uh, to outrun your problems. We used to say this to guys that were slow. We, we'd say, what, you got a piano chain to your butt? You know, you're, you're, you're not moving very fast. You got a piano chain to your butt? Well, yeah, I sort of do. I drag all my baggage with me and slow me down. It's the same, same sort of an image. That whatever you, whenever you choose to do something your own strength, you are not going to get rid of the thing that dogs you. It will, it will follow you just as quickly as you run from it. And so, uh, it goes on to say in, in um, verse 18, well, actually it goes on to say in 17, a thousand shall flee at the threat of one, and, and at the threat of five you shall flee. What does that mean? It means that you will live in fear. It means you will never have peace. Because you depend on your own strength, and you depend on your own strength to get you out of your situations, you're never going to be at rest. You're always going to be on guard. You're always going to be anxious. And then it says, until you're left as a pole on the top of a mountain. And that word pole is broken down in the King James to say a tree stripped of its branches. What's a tree stripped of its branches? It's a tree, a tree at one point in time had branches, it had leaves, it had life. And now the winds have come through and destroyed it and all that's left is a fragment of what of one, once was. So in other words, you're going to be at the end of yourself. You will do this until you are finally at the end of yourself. When are you at the end of yourself? When will you give up trying to do things your way? Anyone know? When do you try to give up? When do you give up doing things your way? I give it up when I'm at the, finally at the end of myself. When does that happen? We're doing a seminar yesterday. When do you find me ready to forgive? When are you finally able to forgive? I said, when you're ready. When you're so When you're ready, yeah. When you've had enough. Well, when have I had enough? I don't know, when, whenever you've had enough. Man, if I could actually look at people and say, you know what, you only have till next Tuesday, and then you will be ready, I'd love to do that. But some of us are dumber than others. You know what I mean? Some of us don't learn. Some of us are stubborn. You cannot help somebody who is not ready to be helped. When I was 16 and my dad confronted me uh, with my struggle, I said, I'm going to do it my way. And though he wanted to help, he couldn't because I wasn't ready to receive the help. When are you ready? When are you ready to give up your rules? When are you ready to give up your manipulations? When are you ready to stop being selfish and to say, Lord, I'm at your mercy? That's when the breakthrough happens. That's when the freedom comes. If you're an angry person, when are you ready to, done being, to be done being angry? You know, I'm ready, man. Anger's wrecked me for long enough. I'm ready. Right? Or not. And if not, can't help you. And that's why the next verse says this. Therefore the Lord will wait. The Lord waits for crying out loud. He, he, he's there. You wonder, why isn't God helping me? Well, the answer is, because you're not ready. Well, isn't he, doesn't he want to help you? Yeah, he's waiting. But you can't do it on your terms. It's got to be on his terms. You know, think about a guy, uh, a guy that, that came to me with some struggles one time. 
and he had demonic issues. Demons were tormenting him at night. And uh, I won't tell you the whole story. But he, he said, I hear you can cast out demons. I want to be free. I said, well, the short answer is yes. But I said, the thing, the challenge for you is you have to be willing to give up what they have, what they have a grip on in your life. Oh. He knew exactly what I was talking about. He'd made a bit of a deal with the devil. And he wanted to keep the benefit that the devil was giving him, but he wanted to get rid of the demons that tormented him at night. I said, unless you're ready to get rid of, let go of what, what the devil's given you to work with, these things are going to continue to stick to you. Are you ready to give it up? Nah, he says, I'll keep my demons. He was not ready to be free. We ran into a lady in, in, uh, in um, Mongolia, and I'll share a little bit more of her story tonight at our, at our celebration night. But she came and had struggled and struggled and struggled to get free, badly, badly depressed. And I said, are you ready to be free? She says, I can't be free. I've tried and tried. Yeah, I said, you know what? That's the problem right there. You are trying too much. And repentance and rest is your, strength, is your salvation. And quietness and trust is your strength. Can we just stop trying? And can we just say yes to Jesus? I don't know if it'll help. She says, I don't have any faith. I said, that's okay. I'll believe for you. Okay. I said, when, you, when we pray for you, I want you to do this. You're going to sit there, and I want you to picture a large plate in your hands. And all your brokenness and betrayal and anger and all that stuff is on the plate. And you're, it's on your lap. You're not lifting the plate. It's just there. And we're going to invite Jesus into the plate. And she was set free. With no trying anymore. She experienced what repentance was about. That God was waiting for her. And he says, I wait that I may be gracious to you. Does anyone know what grace is? What is grace? Well, you need a second chance. Second chance, yep. More. Talk to me about grace. We, we heard a definition just lately. Is, um, God's, uh, God's divine influence on your heart. God's divine influence on your heart, yep. More. God's favor. God's favor. More. Yeah, that's interesting already. That whole idea of God's favor, that's Luke chapter 4. It says this is the year of God's favor, that God is favorable toward us. So you may think that you failed over and over and over again, and God's going like, I'm ready, right? He's favorable toward you. He's not, he doesn't have his back at you like this, like, you know, get straightened up and then we'll deal with you. He's favorable toward you. I want to help, right? What else about grace? Talk to me about grace. Well, you don't, well, you don't deserve it. <clears throat> But you, uh, but God, uh, but it's, but you, yeah. So you, you yeah. don't deserve, but you, you're given it. Anyways. My favorite illustration of God's grace, one of them, is changing diapers. Who here has changed diapers? Your kid doesn't deserve to have his diapers changed. He crapped them 16 times today, right? <laughs> but what are you going to do? You change your diapers. Why? Because the kid's work having his diapers changed. It's not about what you deserve. So uh, when uh, Kirk talks about what this, this definition, he says, one of the old definitions of grace is unmerited favor. In other words, God loves you because of who you are, not, not because you earned it. Yeah, what else? Give me more about grace. You're a flag staff and he still is there for you. Yeah. Grace means more than just unmerited favor. 
It means God's turned toward you. It means God loves you. It means God has already forgiven your sin, though you may or may not have received that yet. Grace means that God will provide for you. That's why he said to his disciples in the end of Luke, he said, don't go anywhere, but wait for the power that is, that is to come, the promise that is to come, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I will give you something that you cannot produce on your own. Whatever God pours into your life that you need that you can't produce on your own, that is grace. When you have a need and you say, God, I can't do this, and he pours something into your life to meet your need, that is grace. So it could be strength, it could be peace, it could be power, it could be any number of things. But it says God waits to be gracious to you. He says, I have gifts for you, and I'm waiting to give them to you. But you would not. You said, no, I'll do my life my own way. Therefore, it says, he will be exalted, that he might have mercy on you. What does it mean to exalt somebody? It means God will lift himself up. To exalt somebody, if we were to exalt, uh, you know, we're going to want to exalt Dorothy today. We grab her, we throw her on our shoulders, on our shoulders. We pull together around her, grab a few flags, and we go charging down the street carrying Dorothy on our shoulders. All hail Queen Dorothy! Whatever. You know, like we're holding her up and we're exalting her and we're saying, this woman is a woman of massive influence in our lives. God says, I will do this to myself. He says, even if you don't pay attention to me, I will exalt myself in your life. So I got my buddy, let's go back to my young friend Ben, who walked into my church that one time all those years ago. He didn't even know what he was coming into church for. But he did know this, I hate God. What am I doing here? But I need to be here. And that morning, God exalted himself in Ben's life. God broke through. God showed himself as the one that Ben needed to surrender to. A number of weeks later, we baptized Ben. And when he came up out of the water, I had to bore a Pentecostal church. I was a, we were in a Lutheran church. I had to bore a Pentecostal church. I had a tank. And then on top of that, I had to get a Pentecostal pastor friend of mine to teach me how to baptize him. I said, what do I do? Tuck, tip him back, tip him forward, shove him under. What do I do? He says, whatever you do, make him bend their knees. Because if they go over straight-legged, they're taking you with them. Right? <laughs> So anyway, I learned all this stuff. We baptized Ben. And when Ben came up out of the water, yes! He was just experiencing the grace and the mercy of God. Interestingly, that day, see, this is the way God works. Interestingly, that day, we weren't trying to manipulate God. God was exalting himself. Anyway, Ben comes down. He's all toweling off, right? And his friend Andrew walks up to him. Now, Andrew's an atheist. But because he's a good friend of Ben, Ben invited him to his baptism. Andrew walks up. I'm ready. Ben looks at him. What? I'm ready. What do I got to do? What? The, the, the Christian thing, man. I, I'm, I'm ready. Ben looks at me. He's ready. Do your thing. I said... I gave you a little booklet with a prayer in it. You do your thing. I don't have it with me. Where is it? It's out in the car. Go get it. Ben runs out to his car, comes back in. He 
he's got this little four spiritual laws book here. He starts reading the first spiritual law. Okay, Andre, listen to this. By the time he got done it, he got down to the fourth spiritual law, he's like preaching it, right? Andre's like, give me more. <laughs> and he led Andre through this prayer, and Andre got saved. This is how God works. It is not controllable. It is not, we can't manipulate. It's about more than rules. It's about the Spirit of God that pours out among us. And it says that God waits upon us to be gracious unto us. Then why is this not happening? Why is it not happening for me? It says because you would not. What is the thing in your life that you are hanging on to? What is the thing where you say, I will not? There's always something. God, I want you to do it my way. God says, I will exalt myself. I will do it my way. But he says, regardless of whatever attitude you have, I wait for you. And you may say to God, you know what? God, I've been waiting for you. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. God says, You've been waiting for me to do it your way. And your way don't work. When are you ready to repent? When are you ready to say, God, I'm ready to do things your way? Think about a friend of mine. We went to a, uh, we went to a full gospel businessman. And this friend of mine, he's an old Lutheran guy, right? I don't know what, what you know about old Lutheran guys. But some of us are pretty traditional. And this guy was pretty traditional. He went in a suit. And at the end... He had some attitude, too. At the end, there was this altar call for prayer ministry. And he thought, well, I don't want any of the stuff he's offering, but I tell you what, I will ask God for he said, the gift of love. And then when he goes up there, people are being, some people are being slain in the Spirit. They're falling over under the influence of the Spirit. Right? Boom. A fair amount of it. Anyway, my buddy, he thinks to himself, that ain't happening to me i got my suit on. I'm not rolling around the floor in my suit. <laughs> so he goes up, and he thinks, I'll lean against it. <laughs> Nobody's tipping me over. Triangular. i got a piano and two legs. Good. Anyway, he's leaning against a chair or whatever, whatever he's leaning against. And he goes up. Okay, I would like to be prayed over for the gift of love. Uh, theologically, biblically, it's actually a fruit. Whatever. Knock yourself up. The guy prays over him. Nothing happens. The guy prays over him again. Nothing happens. The guy looks at him and, and, and basically says, you're resisting God. God ain't going to do nothing in you until you do things God's way. So the guy goes, okay, Lord, do it your way. Bam! He's on the floor rolling around in the dirt in his suit. <laughs> Why did God do that? We had to process that afterwards. God was just teaching him a little lesson that you're not the one that sets the limits. God says, I will do things my way. Remember listening to another speaker, and every time the Holy Spirit landed on him for about a year or so, if I have my story correct, he would, he would fall to the ground as he spoke. And he said, God, I hate when this happens. Why, why are you doing this? Because I'm letting you know, the Holy Spirit said, that you're weak. That it is my strength. Oh. When are we ready? Now, I'm not saying that you have to fall to the ground. I'm not saying that you have to be slain in the spirit. Um, 
I know people that have sought that experience and never received it because that was the most important thing to them. God says, when will you surrender to me? Because really what it comes down to is that God wants to use us. He wants to fill us. And, and he wants it better than we want it. And for that to happen, we have to take our limitations off of God. It says, therefore God will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait on him. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. And when he hears it, he will answer you. I don't want to say in closing, he will not be gracious to us at the sound of our demand. God, you do this. He will be gracious to us at the sound of our cry. And for a mother who hears a little baby crying in a crib, and they dump everything in there down off to that crib, because the baby is crying, I need you. It's a cry of repentance. That's why Jesus said when we enter the kingdom of God we have to enter as little child. Lord, I need you. And at the sound of your cry, I will hear you, he says. So, you know, as we uh, walk together as a community of faith here, this has been uh, a passage. I can't, I can't say it gives us a lot of strategy as a church, but I, I, do, I can say that it takes us back to the importance of repentance. Jesus' proclamation out of the wilderness after the devil had been attacking him for several, several days, several weeks actually, was the first thing was the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. At the end of, uh, I think, the book of Mark, the call to the Great Commission, Mark's version, it says that the message of repentance will be proclaimed throughout the earth. When I was in Africa recently in Kenya, I preached a message teaching them what repentance was. And the pastor stood up at the end. She said, this is a totally new teaching. She said, we have seen repentance as a rule that we have to do. She says, we have been trying to live for God by our own strength. And there's division among our people. She said, now we have heard that we have to let God be our strength. We have to live by his strength and that repentance is turning back to that. Are we willing to repent? Not are we willing to ask God to fix our lives. Are we willing to repent and trust him? Are you willing to repent? I'd like us to join together in a prayer of simple repentance. And for those of you who want to... Uh, enjoy this journey a little more. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. It's a simple prayer of surrender to the living Christ. It's a simple prayer of renouncing our own agendas on God. Our own manipulations on God. If you are exhausted, it's because you're walking in your own strength. And this simple prayer is to yield to that passage. In repentance and rest is your salvation. And in quietness and trust is your strength. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus we come to you as we are. And we hear your word. And we are ready. In repentance and rest is our salvation. In repentance and rest is our salvation. 
In quietness and trust is our strength. In quietness and trust is our strength. Your promise is this. Your promise is this. That as we are ready. As we are ready. And as we cry out to you. As we cry out to you. You will have mercy on us. You will have mercy on us. We now offer you what we carry. We now offer you what we carry. Forgive us. Yes. Forgive us for carrying this in our own strength. Forgive us for carrying this in our own strength. Forgive us for where we have tried to manipulate you. Forgive us for where we have tried to manipulate you. Forgive us for where we have used rules rather than faith. Forgive us for where we have used rules rather than faith. Jesus, we now offer you ourselves. Jesus, we now offer you ourselves. We renounce our own strength. We renounce our own strength. And we turn to you. And we turn to you. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Be gracious to us. Be gracious to us. May your strength be poured out on us. May your strength be poured out on us. We will receive this from you in Jesus' name. We receive this from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. In this prayer, Lord, as our hearts are open before you in the way that you have opened them, we say yes to you. Come, Lord God. Be poured into our struggle. Come, Lord God. We offer you our weakness. Come, Lord God. If you want to use us, use us. Come, Lord God. Guide us. Father, we've been bought and paid for with a price we are no longer our own. And we say yes to you. In Jesus' name. Now, as a called and ordained minister of the Church of God, I declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that he might empower you that he might exalt God in you, in your daily living. That he may be strength to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you and thank you for the morning. Any, any thoughts?